Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. So we have three more lessons in the book of Leviticus, and um, we're rounding, rounding the corner of our chiastic outline tonight. You'll notice we're moving on to the priesthood again, as it is with chiasms. We start somewhere, and we end kind of in the same place. So at the beginning, we went through sacrifices, and the second lesson, we went through the priesthood, namely how the priests were chosen and anointed, and then we went through the laws of cleanness and uncleanness, the Day of Atonement, uh, laws of holy and unholy the last two weeks. And then tonight, we're going to continue, go back to the priesthood, namely uh, what, what has to do with the sacrificial meals and specific about sacrificial offerings. And then next week, we'll look at the sacrificial festivals, and uh, we'll close on week 12 with the conclusion of the book of Leviticus. And then on May 11th, which will be our last Wednesday night activity for the main church year, we have our dinner, and we'll have the kids program upstairs at 6. That's on May 11th. Okay, so just three more weeks of our lessons together, and then the kids program, and then there will be summer studies. Uh, summer studies I'm looking forward to very much. Um, last year we did, what do we call them, hot button issues. And so last year we talked about gender and sexuality. We talked about... Um, who remembers what we talked about? The Southern Baptist Convention. We talked about uh, women in ministry, preaching and teaching and so on. A couple other hot-button issues. We're going to kind of do the same thing this year, but we're going to go with uh, theology. So uh, some hot-button theological topics. Just to whet your appetite for that, we're going to start with the sign gifts, uh, tongues, prophecy, spiritual gifts, uh, the supernatural spiritual gifts of the New Testament. Uh, have they ceased? Do they continue? And how does that work? I'm going to tell you up front, though, I'm not going to give you an answer on any of these. Uh, it's going to be, this is what some believe, this is what some believe, here's the biblical evidence for both, and then you go and study and with the Holy Spirit make up your mind. And <laughs> so we're going to talk about the sign gifts, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and salvation, so issues of election and predestination. We're going to talk about uh, the end times, so different views on the end times, Israel and the church. And uh, I might separate those into two topics, or I might do one more extra topic. So you'll want to join us this summer, and we'll, we'll have those dates out soon when we're going to do those summer studies. All right, so for week 10, the perfection of priests and sacrifices. Uh, looking again at the priesthood and the sacrificial system. Yes, There will be four Wednesday night studies like we did last year. There will be four summer Wednesday studies. Yeah, so the first one in May will be the spiritual gifts. We believe in spiritual gifts. The sign gifts, we call them. Tongues, prophecy, healing, things like that. And then uh, June, 
I don't know what we'll do next. But it'll be yeah, one topic per night. So the, the one I'm, I'm struggling with is whether to do end times and views on Israel and the church as one lesson or to do two lessons. It could be two lessons, but it could also be, <laughs> Blake said two lessons. Everybody says two, but I have another one in the back of my mind I want to do, so we'll see how it winds up. Hmm? Just do it too. Yeah, let's just add just more. Yeah, why not? Let's do a whole series. No. Uh, yeah, so the whole, the whole point of this is to show the, the, the spectrum of Christian thought on these different issues and um, where they're coming from biblically and historically and then to kind of leave it with you. I, I might give inclinations in those lessons about where I stand on them. But these are what we call secondary or tertiary issues. They're not primary issues that make you a Christian or not. They are secondary issues that may determine you know, where, the, where you go to church. Uh, but they're, they're not primary issues that should divide us in terms of Christian brotherhood. But uh, there are interesting issues, and so I look forward to some good conversation on those. Hopefully nobody will get mad. That's always a good goal. Number one... <laughs> Number one tonight, let's talk about priesthood and the sacrificial system in Leviticus once more as the author Moses comes back by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us more instructions on this. God lines up everything here, not just in Leviticus, but, but throughout the whole Bible, but specifically here with the priesthood. He lines up everything to tell a story. And as we journey through these instructions about clean and unclean and holy and unholy and the Day of Atonement and the festivals, all of these play a part in the story that God is telling. Tonight we see that the priesthood tells one part of this story. The priesthood tells one pretty significant part of this story of the Bible, the story of salvation and redemption. This story that we see in the priesthood and the sacrifices and the whole thing that Leviticus is about is the central message of the tabernacle. It's what the tabernacle is all about. It's there to tell this story about what it means to be a priest, the need for a priest, the need for atonement, the need for sacrifice. All of that story is told through the tabernacle and then later the temple uh, when Solomon builds the temple, which would be the permanent sort of tabernacle there in Jerusalem. But you know this, the story is bigger than the tabernacle. It goes beyond the tabernacle. This is part of the story. The priesthood is part of the story. The tabernacle is part of the story, but the story goes way beyond the tabernacle and the priesthood. In fact, tonight we'll see that the whole point of this story is the need for a perfect priest, the need for a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice, for that matter. So tonight we'll be in uh, chapters 21 and 22, and we'll, we'll jump around some on these things to compare and contrast some of the lists and things. So if you're marking in your Bibles or if you have that, uh, the scripture journal, that's very helpful. Just you know, pay attention to some of these sections. What I like to do when I say you know, verses 1 through whatever say this, I just kind of draw a bracket uh, around those on, on the side. I have a wide margin Bible though, so however you can do it in your Bible. And then I just write out to the side uh, something that helps me know why I bracketed that. <laughs> so, so for instance, the main theme 
of this first section, the main theme we see at the beginning of chapter 21 is the priest's moral purity. And that is in verses 1 through 15. And so when you look at Leviticus 21, 1 through 15, you see a lot of uh, do's and do nots associated with priests dealing with two main issues. Number one is sexual purity. And number two is purity of worship. One is sexual purity and one is purity of worship. So let's just look at a few of these. Uh, Leviticus 21 verse 1. No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people. So what is that? It means someone has died. Uh, maybe even, even his own family member, we'll see. Um, and the priest, to keep himself clean, is not to touch a dead body, a corpse. And so uh, whether it comes to picking the body up or carrying it for burial or wrapping it or any of the things that would have been part of the ceremonial um, issues for the for the dead the priest was not to participate in that or he would become unclean and there's remedies for that there's the washings and waiting till sundown and then they're clean uh, but in order to keep doing his job he was not supposed to touch those dead things and then we see um, number four he or verse four he shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself and verse five we have this this interesting prohibition they shall not make bald patches on their head nor shave off the edges of their beard nor make any cuts on their body they shall be holy to God verse 7 they shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband for the priest is holy to God and we see continual things like this and you see the main emphasis for the Lord giving these instructions to the priest is sexual purity in terms of marriage and fidelity in marriage and worship. And you might look at that and say, well, where is the worship part of this? Well, the worship part comes in verse 1 and that weird section we just read in verse 5. Uh, your question here on your handout, why the prohibitions of mourning? So when it comes to handling the dead, dealing with the dead, and then those weird things about shaving bald spots and cutting yourself and trimming your beard, those have, uh, have a lot to do with Canaan, Canaanite rituals of burial for the dead. So there would have been mourning that took place in the Canaanite nations that, that would have included ceremonies of self-harm, cutting oneself, or shaving one's head, and these various outward forms of mourning. The priests were not to participate in that. Now, neither were the people, but of course the priesthood was to be like extra holy. If the people were called to be holy, the priesthood was called to be even more holy. So we see God uh, safeguarding the priests from these pagan rituals, and we saw the same thing last week, remember, uh, about cut, shaving their, their temples and their rounding off the corners of their beard and, and the tattooing of themselves, and how that wasn't so much a prohibition of cutting your hair, your beard, and getting tattoos as it was avoiding being like the nations that were around them. The same thing applies here in these pagan rituals for the dead. The priests and the people were not to participate in that. So these opening guidelines are moral ones, and they deal with sexual purity and worship, not giving in to the customs and the pagan rituals of the nations around them. But there's another side to the coin for the priest, and that is their physical wholeness. Their physical wholeness. 
In verses 16 through 24 of chapter 21, we move away from sexual purity and the purity of worship, and we move into these bizarre, might be the word, um, particular, and maybe you might, you might think cruel uh, rituals or uh, prohibitions for the priest. Uh, just look at verse 16. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near. A man, born, a man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a defect in his sight or an itching disease or scabs. Are you ready for this? Or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron... The priest who has a blemish shall come near to the Lord's food offerings. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish, that he may not profane my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. So we have these prohibitions that safeguard the priest's physical wholeness. Now, on the surface, you would see this and say, well, man, God is very particular, um, and, and he's playing favorites here. This is not favoritism on behalf of God, where he's somehow discriminating uh, in a fleshly way, that is, against these people who might have a disability of some sort, or disease, or an illness, or a sickness that they have no control over. It is not that for the sake of that. God is not saying you're unclean because you have that. Or you're unclean because, uh, for instance, you're what the Bible calls a hunchback or have a dwarfism or a defect in your sight. These are not sinful conditions. But it's part of the bigger story of what the Lord is doing here. When he's safeguarding the priesthood and showing how important and pure the priesthood should be, these things cannot be a part of that. So, so what is the big deal? What is the big deal? Two words, holiness and wholeness. Holiness and wholeness. And you might just write beside that, perfection. No blemish, whether it's a moral purity blemish, or in this instance with the priests, any sort of physical blemish. All this relates to the Lord showing how holy the priesthood is. Why? Because of how holy he is. How holy the Lord is. My microphone going in and out? No? Okay. Uh, holiness and, and wholeness. That, that leads us to these... Uh, these laws on sacrificial foods in chapter 22. We've already talked about the offerings that the priests eat and the offering that the priests eat and the people eat and those that purely belong to the Lord. And so here we're talking about the laws that govern what the priests may eat and what the lay people may eat with the priests. And there are two sets of laws we see here in chapter 22. One set is for the priests eating sacrificial leftovers. In chapter 22, um, if you just glance through this list, verse 3, 
And if they eat with uncleanness, uh, verse 4, they have a leprous disease or a discharge, they may not eat of the holy things. Uh, later, verse 4, if they contact a dead man, uh, emission of semen, verse 5, whoever touches a swarming thing, remember those unclean animals. And then verse 6, we have the, again, we have the remedy, bathing yourself, washing your clothes, and waiting till sundown until you're clean again. But we have this set of laws that govern when a priest may and when a priest may not eat of the leftover sacrificial meals. They have to be in a state of ceremonial ritual cleanness. Remember, there's a difference between ceremonial and ritual cleanness and something that is sinful. Touching a dead body or coming into contact with death or discharges and those, those fun things we talked about aren't necessarily sinful, but God is telling a bigger story about purity and cleanness and holiness and wholeness and really about life that's in him. He's telling a bigger story through those different categories of ritual and ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. And so we have these laws for the priest, and then we have a separate set of laws for others eating the sacrificial leftovers, that is, the lay people that might eat of the sacrificial leftovers. Now, here's a, a key factor. Unless it's the offering, the peace offering, in which the people also get to eat with the priest, we're not really talking about that here. We're talking about sacrificial leftovers that are given to the priest. So who may eat of those? In verses 10 through 16, let's just summarize and say, the priest and his household may eat of those. Only the priest and his household. Well, who, what's included in his household? Well, his wife, his children, um, slaves that live in the house are counted as part of his family. Now it says if his daughter marries and moves off with another man to live with him as her husband, she can no longer come into the priest's house and eat the leftovers. Why? Because she's no longer part of his household, but is part of her husband's household. But if for some reason she returns, her husband dies or whatever, she comes back, the Lord says, well, then you may eat of the leftovers. What's going on there? Again, the Lord is safeguarding, we might use the word fencing, fencing the tabernacle and fencing the holy things that belong to the Lord. And when he says, you may eat and you may not eat, those are his sovereign holy commands to show there's something unique and different and separate about the priesthood that not just anybody can come in and do. I mean, and even among the priesthood, there's the high priest, and he's the only one who can go into the holy place, right? The most holy place and only that once a year. So the Lord has these ways of showing the separation, holiness, distinction between himself his tabernacle the priesthood and the people and then you get into all the things about ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness you can see two warnings that go with this particular command in verses 9 and 16 what was the warning behind these laws look at verse 9 chapter 22 and this is about the priests if the priests um break the law of God and eat leftover sacrificial animals in an unclean way, verse 9, they shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear sin for it and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So you see what happens if they approach and take what belongs to the Lord 
in an unclean way, instead of the sacrifice bearing the sin, the priest himself bears the sin and he dies for it. Okay? He takes the sin and he dies for it. In verse 16, we see the same thing applied to the people uh, with even more emphatic language. If the people approach and eat in an unclean fashion and so cause themselves to bear iniquity and guilt, and remember the difference in those words. We're not just talking about unintentional sins, you know, misstep, a mistake. Iniquities, guilt, tra- trespass, transgression. By eating the holy things, they shall bear the, the iniquity and guilt, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I am the Lord who makes them holy. Let them not profane themselves in this way. So circle that phrase if you just wrote it down. Bear the sin, bear iniquity, bear the guilt. If the priest profanes the sacrifice, he will bear the sin. If the people profane the sacrifice, they will bear the guilt and bear the iniquity themselves. As we move on in chapter 22, we're going to see a similar list to what we saw in chapter 21 about the things that would preclude a priest from serving, and we'll see the things that might preclude a sacrifice from being offered. So not just any animal can be sacrificed. Um, you, You can't go out and just pick the worst one in your flock and give it to the Lord. That could be a free will offering. Uh, in other words, one that's not required and is just an offering of thanks and praise to the Lord. Something, uh, and we'll see one of the, the ways that, that that can be given as a free will offering. But there are very specific, particular, and peculiar prohibitions about what can and can't be offered. Just like we saw the priesthood, and if you have this, 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 and this, you can't go into the presence of the Lord. The same thing will apply not just to the priest, but to the sacrificial animals. If they have this, 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 or this, they cannot be offered, and they won't be received. It's a profanity to the Lord. As you turn the page and look at the list, um, you, you might think that we're in that show, um, Impractical Jokers. You know the show Impractical Jokers, where the, the guys go into public places, and uh, they'll have an earpiece in, and the, th- the three friends are in some undisclosed location daring him to do stupid, crazy things in public. And the further he goes, the more points he gets, and he wins, and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, I promise you we're not on an episode of that where they're trying to count how many times we can say the word testicles in a Bible study. But we are going to say it a few times, but we're all big boys and girls here tonight. We can understand what we're talking about with these uh, requirements for a perfect sacrifice. Look in chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. The 12 points of sacrificial perfection. I want you to see if you can delineate them, and then I'll, I'll give them to you. Starting in verse 22, animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs you shall not offer them to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar you may present a bull or lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted 
Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall, uh, you shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them. Because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. So let's just delineate these things. Maybe you, you underline them and saw them all, but there are 12. Uh, number one, the animal is not to be blind. Not blind. Not disabled. I think that would imply a lameness in the animal. Not mutilated. And we pick up again this idea of mutilation and, and the Lord is specific that if a foreigner gives you an animal, you may not sacrifice it. And the presumption is that if some Canaanite has given you an animal, it may have been mutilated in some sort of pagan practice or whatever it is. We're not given the reason for everything, but we do see this continual fencing of the people from taking part in anything that has to do with the nations around them. Again, the holiness of the people, holiness. Number four, no discharge. Animal cannot have a discharge of any kind. All those fun discharges you talked about with Jared a couple weeks ago. No itch. And again, I, I don't know the, the scale they would use to say, yes, this animal has an itch. You know, did it scratch itself once? <laughs> did it go on and on and on? Or maybe it would be a rash or something. Seems to go along with this secondary uh, prohibition against scabs. So open, oozing sores, those things that you saw with Jared that are prohibited. They can't have parts, and this refers to limbs. We'll see it later with the priest, or earlier with the priesthood. Um, a limb, foot, uh, or leg, arm that's too long, but also not too short. <laughs> it has to be just right. No, <laughs> no bruised testicles. And I'll just say ones. No crushed ones. <laughs> no torn ones and no cut ones. Now, some of this might have to do with sexual purity. Some of it might have had to do in terms of the animal uh, being castrated. I, I forgot the other word for it. You agrarian types can help me. It starts with a G. Gelded, that's it, that's right. And, and that would have been done to, and you can tell me if this is right too, for, for any of these domesticated animals to make them behave better and also to uh, protect a line, protect genetics from the ones you wanted to breed, the ones you didn't want to breed, and so on. So uh, that seems to infer that um, all of this has to do with something that's been cut, messed up, whether it's the unmentionables or their eyes or their bones or anything else that, that has to do with their, their physical well-being. Animals that are animals that would have been considered less useful in any, in any regard cannot be offered to the Lord as a sacrifice. It has to be a pristine, perfect, uh, spotless, without blemish sacrifice. Not just any animal can be offered. It, you, know, you can't just look at your herd and say, well, that one's not worth much. I'll give that to the Lord. The whole purpose was you need to give something that's prized, something that's in good condition, something that is perfect. And it's interesting, if you remember back in chapter 21, though, verses 18 through 20, we saw a lot of these same requirements for the priest. Not only was God very particular about 
the offering itself, but he was very particular about the offerer. Now, your study guide said 12, but so help me, I could not count through this list in chapter 21 and not count 13. So I'm saying they're 13. I know that doesn't line up well, but it's, it's just what the Bible says, so who cares? <laughs> Number one, for the priest now, for the priest, no blemishes, again, not blind, not lame. Specifically, it says not mutilated in their face. Not mutilated in their face, if I'm remembering that correct. Uh, yeah, not, one who has a mutilated face. And again, that seems to imply some sort of pagan custom. Something, uh, think about the prophets of Elijah cutting themselves. And, and even as Moses said here with these uh, prohibitions against cutting themselves in mourning or whatever it would have been, I think that's what's in view here. He's specific here, and he doesn't mention too short, but he mentions too long, that they cannot have a limb that is too long. They may not have an injured foot. They may not have an injured hand. They may not be, whatever the scriptures mean by a hunchback, nor a dwarf. No sight defects, no itch, no scabs. And it's interesting that whereas you had all those other lists for the animals parts, you, you only have the one for the priest's parts. And I think that has, again, to do with the, the farming, the, uh, the, the castration and so on of, of the animals versus the priest who wouldn't have had necessarily those other injuries, but might have had this injury, maybe something dealing with sexual purity or, or some other foreign custom. So, uh, again, no crushed testicles. Elliot just walked in the middle of this one. He probably don't know what's going on right now. We're in Leviticus, so that should answer your question. <laughs> so as you look at those lists, and if you didn't get any, just raise your hand and I'll tell you what it is. Just, just kind of glancing at the list. You don't have to answer. Look at the similarities. Okay, we see blind, mutilated, disabled, uh, itch, scabs, uh, limbs too long, limbs too short, whatever the deal is with testicles. And, and then we have what's different. What's different with the, the people, the priests, uh, injured foot, an injured hand hunchback, dwarf, another mention of sight. It's interesting they said blind, but then also not even a defect in sight. Um, but what's similar and what's different? And when you look at these two side by side, you see God is very particular, not only about what is offered, but the offer himself. And if you look at this, you think, man, that is a list. That is very specific. That is very particular. God, I think, would say to you, you're absolutely right. The sacrifice must be pristine. But also, the offerer, the priest, must be pristine in a ceremonial sense, and even, we see, in a physical sense. And this is one of those parts, I mean, maybe we've been through a lot of these in Leviticus, where you, you look, and, and you would not ever think, you know, like reading Judges. Remember our story in Judges, where Ehud killed um, Og, and, and he, he stabbed him with the, the 
the sword and said the king was Eglon, not Og, Eglon. And then he was so fat that when he stabbed him with the sword, his fat encompassed the sword. And when Ehud pulled the sword out, his insides came out. And you think, man, that's, that's some heavy scripture right there. Uh, I don't think any of these portions are going to be like just your life verse. You know, you're not necessarily going to write down these, these things about testicles and just put them under your pillow at night and help you sleep better because it won't help you sleep better, I promise you. So we look at these scriptures and we look at these passages, and maybe you've thought this through the whole book of Leviticus, and you think, I, I, I just don't even, know, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this, with the discharges and uncleanness and the hunchbacks and dwarves and, the, and all this stuff. I encourage you when you come to these things to do what we, we, we've been trying to do throughout the book of Levit- Leviticus, and that is to zoom out and see, uh, just ask yourself basic questions. Why would God want us to think that a sacrifice that he accepts must be perfect. Why would God want us to see very clearly that the priesthood that's able to come into his presence must be perfect? Why such a heavy emphasis on cleanness and purity and holiness and uprightness and why all these rules? And as you zoom out, I mean, we as Christians, I think in a room like this, sort of a core group of believers here at the church, I think you obviously see what God is trying to show them and what God will in time unfold for them. And that's why every night we come, every time we do this, we come to the big picture. All of these weird things, very foreign to us, mostly, I think, uh, strange commands and prohibitions and don't do this and do that. When you zoom out and you see the big picture, I hope every week all of it's kind of clicking and you say, oh, I see what God was trying to do there. So let's talk tonight about the big picture. Number one, the Old Testament points toward, and we see it all through this tonight, points toward a sacrifice who would bear the sins of the people. A sacrifice that would bear the sins of the people. Now, we see these lambs and bulls and goats that do that in a sense, but the Old Testament's pointing us even further than that. The prophet Isaiah says by the Lord... In Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We're talking about a man. We're talking about a person. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, verse 4 deals with things that we can understand. He has a, a man 
coming to bear grief and hurt and sorrow, and that's something we can understand. We come alongside of one another. We bear each other's burdens, sorrow, sadness, despair. We can share those things. So maybe we could explain away verse 4 in that way. But then you come to verse 5, and it's not just about grief and broken hearts and sorrow. It's about sin. He was pierced for our transgressions. Remember, we're talking about a man now, a person, not an animal. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. The, the whole Old Testament is pointing us to this. Not a lamb or a goat or a bull, but a man of sorrows who takes our grief and takes our pain, but also bears our sins and our iniquities and our guilt. Remember that earlier? Bear sin, bear iniquity, bear guilt. The New Testament then points, in essence, backward. Old Testament points forward. New Testament points backward to a perfect sacrifice without blemish or spot. And you remember this from our series in 1 Peter. Peter says in chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, verse 18, pointing back to Jesus, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like what? Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, why wouldn't Peter just say a sinless lamb? That's what he means, isn't it? He means a sinless lamb. He means a pure, spotless, sinless lamb. But he, uses, he chooses to say, without blemish or spot. Immediately conjuring these images from Leviticus about blemishes and problems and defects. And he says, no, no, Christ is a lamb without blemish or spot. When you think of the Hebrew camp here, number three, uh, remember how the Hebrew camp was set up, that you had outside the camp, then you had the actual camp, then you had the walls of the tabernacle, then the courtyard, then the tabernacle itself, the holy place, and the most holy place. And so as the camp surrounded, and there was outside the camp for lepers and the unclean, right, and you came into the camp, the closer you move, what, to the center the holier the ground got. So from outside the camp to the camp itself, to the tabernacle grounds, to the holy place, and there in the center, the most holy place, we see degrees of perfection. With the tabernacle and the most holy place, the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, signifying the very center of God's presence with his people, into which no one dares to go except the high priest in that once a year, right? So you see almost a bullseye pointing in these degrees of holiness and perfection to the center. This, of course, points us beyond the camp. It shows us the absolute holiness and perfection of God and his standards, This is going on, again, 
not necessarily sinful. You got this going on in your body, in your life, outside the camp, ceremonially unclean. Then you have the camp itself, the courtyard, the altars, the holy place, the most holy place, and restrictions on who can come here and who can come here and who may go there and who may not go there. And if you go there, you'll die. Right? God is very specific and very, very particular in his standards, showing us this perfection and this holiness of himself. Think about the sacrifices and the, the peculiarities of the, the prohibitions we saw about the sacrifice. Think about an ancient Near Eastern agrarian society. Think about an agrarian, I mean, our society, I mean, we have farms and farmers all around us here. They understand this, I'm sure. A perfect specimen of an animal, horse, cow, sheep, goat, whatever it is that we're, we're working with, a perfect specimen has no reason to die in itself. In fact, you'd say it has every reason not to die. That's the one you don't castrate. That's the one you want to be, be the healthiest and keep the happiest, right? The perfect specimen has no reason to die, but it's exactly that perfect specimen and only that one that could serve as the substitute for the sins of the offerer. The one, listen, who had no reason to die, every reason not to die, is the very one who has to die so that sins can be covered. When we come into the New Testament, very clearly, I mean, Peter's already told us this, and you all know this already. There's no, there's no spoilers tonight. <laughs> Jesus is presented as both our per- perfect priest and our perfect sacrifice. You look at that in Leviticus and we say, man, God is really demanding. All these things the sacrifice can't have. And then on top of that, all the things the priest can't have. And you say, that's demanding, that's particular. Yes, it is. Even more glorious than when Jesus shows up and presents himself as not just the perfect priest, but also our perfect sacrifice. When we think about those perfect specimens that had no reason to die and every reason not to die, but but they had to be the substitute, Jesus had no reason to die in himself. No blemish, no spot, no sin. But even though he had no reason to die, it was that very qualification that made him able, worthy, talked about Sunday morning, to be the perfect sacrifice to die for sinners. If you got your Bibles or your apps up, look at Ephesians 5. We'll be here Sunday night too. Ephesians 5, oddly enough... (laughs) In a, in a discourse that Paul is having about husbands and wives and children and bond servants and masters and the Christian home, basically. In the middle of that, though, we have some really hardcore gospel theology. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Ephesians 5, 26. That he might sanctify her, is that word, sanctify, make holy. What do we see throughout Leviticus in these chapters? I am the Lord that sanctifies you, I sanctify you. Um, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, the washing of water with the word. There's that picture from Leviticus, that when someone is unclean, they bathe, right? There's a washing that occurs. Bible says, though, it's not a washing with water, it's the washing of water with the word. The word is what washes by the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 is very important. So that he might present the church, Christ can, to himself in splendor. And watch this. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus had no reason to die, but he, as the perfect sacrifice, offers himself for sinners. And in doing so, Jesus is able to present us as holy and without blemish. These words are not used by accident. Whether it's of Christ in 1 Peter or of us here in Ephesians, They're conjuring these images from Leviticus about the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest and these situations of being unclean and clean and outside the camp and in the camp and and who can go here and who can go there and who can't go there and who's going to be stoned and who's going to be burned and who's going to die and who does God's anger lash out at. All that's wrapped up here when we see Jesus, who is a lamb without blemish and a priest without blemish, giving himself for us with many blemishes. Why? So that we can be offered to God, presented to him as holy and without blemish or stain or spot or wrinkle. All of the laws that we see regarding the priesthood are intended to present it as a joyful service. They're not to go mourning except in cases of their close family. They're not to go attend funerals and deal with dead bodies and to grieve publicly there in the tabernacle. Even their clothing kind of speaks about joy, doesn't it? With Bright blues and purples. Things that the average Israelite there around the camp would not wear, ever. They wouldn't be able to even get their hands on it. But they have this bright blue ephod with these brilliant stones and a bright turban and everything's shiny about the tabernacle and golden and clean and pristine and and there's something that's being conveyed there about the tabernacle and specifically the ministry of the priest that his ministry for the people is to be a joyful one one that is separated from the cares and the distractions of the world around him and even death itself and is to be separated to the pure joy and love of God and the love of the people that he's serving. And I wonder if you've ever thought about Jesus' service for you and Jesus' ministry to you as your high priest as one that is joyful. Because in this, we see that the priesthood of Jesus 
is a joyful ministry on our behalf. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We read about Jesus, our high priest. John says, my little children, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a lawyer, basically, one that stands beside us to plead for us with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you sinner have an advocate who is righteous at the right hand of the father and i think sometimes when we think about jesus in his death for us there was anguish there there was pain there but jesus did not go to the cross unwillingly jesus did not go to the cross yes philippians tells us that he humbled himself he took on the form of a servant And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's not to convey some image of Jesus as a begrudging Savior who unwillingly and out of obligation and mere duty took the cross up for you and for me. The joyful service that even in his grief and anguish and suffering, Hebrew says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was joy in it for Jesus because of his obedience to the Father, bringing glory to the Father, but also knowing, I think personally for each one of us, that he was redeeming you and redeeming me. And when we look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we see the ministry of Jesus now as our advocate at the right hand of the Father. And it's at least encouraging for me tonight to know that he is not there at the right hand of the Father rolling his eyes at you and me when we mess up when we sin when we misstep when we transgress when we disobey jesus is not at the right hand of the father praying for you with crossed fingers and rolling eyes saying oh jeez father there there they go again please just I don't know what to tell you. Just forgive them. Remember I died on the cross and and that covered. No, that's not the ministry of Jesus at all. His ministry on your behalf and my behalf is a joyful ministry. And the scars that he presents to the Father as a testimony of our forgiveness and our redemption is not one of obligation and mere duty or, or apathy or even anger or bitterness. But it's joyful. It's a joyful ministry on your and my behalf that we have a high priest who joyfully ministers on our behalf and is joyfully our advocate with the Father. And I think that's so important when it comes to the confession of sin. When it comes to approaching God to to confess sin, you know that you're not coming before a God who rolls his eyes at you. You're coming before your Father, your Heavenly Father who loved you so much that He sent Jesus for you. That He, Paul says in Ephesians 1, chose you in love before the foundation. In love He chose you. Again, not eye-rolling, not obligation, not, well, if i got to choose some, I guess I'll choose Jared, or I guess I'll choose Justin. I mean, 
No, God, it says in love, he predestined you. And in John 3, 16, when it talks about Jesus being sent into the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I saw it said this way recently on Twitter. I can't tell you who. Just know it wasn't original to me. That God did not send Jesus to die on the cross in order to love you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross because he loved you. And we think about Jesus' ministry as one as love and joy on our behalf. I think it changes the way that you can approach him. Not, not proudly, not arrogantly, but Hebrew says with confidence. Because this one who we come to is our father, and we come to him through our redeemer, who is also our friend and our advocate. So when you, you look at things like Leviticus, you know, these chapters, and you get bogged down into the scabs and itching and discharges, and you're like, I, said, I don't get anything out of this. Try, try to just zoom out and ask, what is God showing here? And here's what's so important. Take something that you don't understand very well, back up, and try to think about things that it points you to, that you do understand very well. So as soon as we start saying perfect sacrifice, perfect priest, blood, atonement, you're, you're, you're smart enough to think, oh, Jesus, the gospel, the blood, the cross, and then start to read what you're reading in light of that. That's how God gave us the Bible. You know, he gave us Leviticus along with the rest of it to put it all together and see that big picture. So hopefully that's what we've learned <laughs> through Leviticus, if nothing else about body parts and discharges and everything else, all the fun stuff. Uh, hopefully we've seen the gospel too. So we have two more lessons in Leviticus next week, the sacrifices and the festivals, and then we'll close with uh, a conclusion the last week. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the good news of Jesus, who is our joyful, loving, gentle advocate and high priest. And uh, we thank you that we can come to him and come to you through him by the Holy Spirit with our needs, with our wants, and also with our confession of sin. Uh, as we meditate on the sacrifices and the, the, the perfection of the requirements and the perfection of the priesthood and the tabernacle itself and, and all that went into that, as we think about that and meditate on those passages, help us to feel the weight of our own sin uh, help us to feel the weight of our imperfections, but then lift our eyes and our hearts to Jesus and help us to rejoice in him who is our perfect sacrifice and our, per our perfect priest, who in turn makes us stand perfect before you. And thank you for the beauty of the gospel, even in, in passages such as that which we looked at tonight. Thank you for the beauty of Jesus that's there on every single page and in every single word. Uh, send us from this place with your blessing, with your grace, your mercy, and your peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.